0: All right, great having everybody uh, here today. Great not having any snow on the ground. Yes, well that's occupational hazard for you, Dwight. Um, but anyway, some of you got that. Anyway, we uh, it, it's going to be March in two weeks, which March in Oklahoma doesn't really mean we're out of the woods weather-wise, but uh, on March 2nd, we will uh, start a new quarter of Sunday school, and with that... We're going to offer a three week uh, new members class, starting point class is what we call that. Uh, so, if you've been visiting or want to just explore a little bit more about what it means to uh, be a part of our church, be a member of our church, maybe be baptized, anything along those lines, March 2nd, 9th, and 16th, uh, we'll have a three week class called Starting Point. I'm not sure exactly the room it's going to be in yet, but just keep your eyes peeled for that. We'd love to have as many as possible uh, be a part uh, of that. Um, we've been studying Mark's gospel. Uh, Today we'll be closing out chapter 1 of the book, which means at the rate we're going, five or six sermons a chapter, I'll be 40 years old by the time we finish our study of Mark. I'm 38 right now, so it's a motivator. I'd like to preach at least one more book before my 40th birthday, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, I'm excited about our passage today, uh, but just to review, as we've been studying Mark's gospel, it is written by John Mark, In the early 60s AD, which would have been during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. Nero was not the only Caesar to persecute Christians, but he was probably the most brutal. And it was Nero, I think, who set the tone for most of the early Christian persecution that took place during the first century. And Nero's reign and his persecution of Christians is relevant to our study because Mark would have written this gospel from Rome. So from the center of power in the Roman Empire, in the midst of this neurotic uh, persecution, he writes what we call the book of Mark, and he's writing primarily for the Christians in Rome. So this book is largely for Gentiles, Roman Christians who are under the threat of persecution. And though we call it the book of Mark, what this book calls itself is a gospel. It says so in Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And it calls itself a gospel because a gospel is an announcement. A gospel is glad tidings or good news. The Romans would, would use a gospel proclamation to herald news of their emperors or, or to broadcast victory of a, great, uh, a, of a great battle that's been won. A gospel was reason to celebrate because a new emperor was in power or a new era had dawned that's what mark is doing here he's making a gospel announcement that the son of god has come that the king is bringing his kingdom and so what we said very early on is this book can almost be divided in half the first eight or nine chapters the focus is on jesus as king mark puts the kingly authority of jesus on display in the first half of the book and then in the last half of the book we focus on the cross the king laying his power aside, subjecting himself to crucifixion, dying for the sins of the world. So kingdom and cross collide in this great book. And it's in this first chapter of Mark's gospel that the, that the kingdom that Jesus preaches about and the kingdom that Israel has anticipated for centuries is now being inaugurated as the king goes out and he begins to minister. Our text last week revealed the great authority of the king being put on display. You remember first he shows his prophetic authority. He stuns those in the synagogue teaching as one with authority, not like the scribes. He also displays spiritual authority in that passage over the demons as he casts out an unclean spirit. And then physical authority over sickness as Peter's mother-in-law was thoroughly healed by Jesus as she was stricken with a fever. He he then concludes his first full day of ministry by healing and ministering to all those who would be brought to Peter's house there in Capernaum. So the kingdom is breaking into history. Aslan is on the move, as C.S. Lewis would say. And Capernaum, this, this town, this prominent town on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, was turned upside down by one single day of ministry brings us then to our text for this morning. It's Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 35. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Mark writes, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, This passage gives us a model for kingdom ministry. If there's anyone we want to model, it's Jesus. And if there's anything to model in the life of Jesus, it's how he did ministry. We see here that his ministry had three primary facets. Prayer, word, and deed. Seems simple enough, right? Let's look at prayer. First point. We see Jesus has risen very early, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., uh, and, and just to let you know That is not prescriptive That is descriptive So when we talk about prayer You don't have to get up between 3 and 6 a.m. to do your prayer Thank goodness uh, you, can, you can pray anytime But Jesus gets up early Somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. He leaves Capernaum And he goes out to a desolate place That's the fourth time in this chapter The word desolate has been used It's going to be used one more time as well And desolate me- basically means Away from people So Jesus may have gone miles into the wilderness, or it could have been a place close by where he knew he could be left alone. The point is, he goes out for a time of focused prayer. And remember, this retreat to pray is on the heels of a huge first day of ministry. A lot, a lot happened on that prior Sabbath day. Teaching and healing and driving out of an unclean spirit. All of Capernaum knows who Jesus of Nazareth is. They've gotten a glimpse of the great authority on display in his ministry. If there was ever a reason for Jesus to just sleep in and take in the joy of the fruit of his ministry, surely it was this next day. No. Jesus is up before dawn to go and to pray. What a lesson this is for me. As someone who preaches almost weekly and is involved in a lot of ministry on sundays monday is often just kind of a beating for me Uh, i'm just drained i'm wiped out i call it the hangover it's not literally a hangover in a traditional sense but there's sort of this cloud hanging over and and even though a sunday can be energizing and great sometimes mondays man it's just tough well jesus gives me a great example go pray refuel recharge spend time with the father Jesus went to pray. Why? Because the ministry of Jesus was fully dependent on the Father's will and fully dependent on the Spirit's power. His source, his power, his strength in ministry was a deep connection to the Father's will and a full dependency on the Holy Spirit. That's ours. Same thing. Three times in Mark, it tells us that he went to a secluded place to pray. Here in Mark 1, also in Mark 6, and then also in Mark 14. But the reality is, Jesus prayed all the time. You look at the four Gospels, He prayed before His baptism, He prayed before calling the twelve, He prayed before feeding the multitude, He prayed at His transfiguration, He prayed before He taught the disciples how to pray, He prayed before He raised Lazarus, He prayed on that last night with His disciples in the upper room, He prayed in Gethsemane, He prayed hanging on the cross. Jesus prayed. Why? Why? Because communing with God in prayer was crucial to him. You say, but he was God. Correct. But he had laid aside his rights as the son of God. Right? That's what Philippians 2 means when it says he emptied himself. Remember? He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. So he didn't give away his deity. He just gave away the free exercise of it. And he submitted himself to the Father and to God spirit that's why he said i only do what the father tells me to do i only do what pleases the father i do it in the power of the spirit jesus exhibited this wonderful dependence on the will of god and on the power of the spirit and that dependence is just vividly displayed in his practice of prayer which should which should really just cause all of us to say if jesus if he has this approach to prayer how much more should i You know, if the Son of God finds prayer to be utterly necessary, what time have I given to prayer? Do I lack knowledge of God's will? Do I long and have a deep need for the Spirit's power? Your your answer to both those questions should be yes. And your response, then, should be to pray. Peter then shows up after searching for him. The word search is better translated hunt peter has been hunting for jesus and he tells jesus everyone is looking for you meaning everyone in capernaum wants to know where you've run off to jesus there's more ministry to be done more healing to accomplish peter's like come on jesus you realize what you've started everyone wants to see you now don't you think jesus knew this of course jesus knew this he knew the next day in Capernaum would be crazier than the first the crowds would be larger the needs would be even greater a perfect chance to exponentially multiply his followers and exercise his authority was at hand so what is Jesus' response to this extreme ministry opportunity to leave town and pray I'll mention it again the more intense things get for Jesus the more we see him pray Unlike you and me, opportunity and intensity does not equal Jesus getting busier. It doesn't equal him putting more items on the to-do list, having more people to please. When the demands on him intensify, he seeks the Father in prayer. What about you? What's your response to perceived opportunity? How do you respond to a chance to make your name great? I'll be honest. I start with thinking I tend to plan and devise and yeah I might get to prayer eventually but my plans and my thinking would be so helped if instead I just started with prayer that's what Jesus has done and here's what you need to understand about prayer I think Jesus shows us that prayer is ministry we often categorize prayer as something you do in advance of ministry or something you do in the midst of ministry But prayer itself is ministry. You might know, we have a small group of people, I think four people now, who on Wednesday nights are praying for our Awana ministry and the other needs in our church family. Did you know that? They meet in the library. They aren't volunteering in the traditional sense. They aren't engaged with worship practice or in the kitchen or serving the kids. They are praying. And I'm here to tell you, they are as crucial as anyone of the ministry being carried out in this church. They are. It's said during Charles Spurgeon's ministry at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, the largest church in all of Great Britain, that members would gather in the boiler room of the church to pray for church services while they were in progress. Spurgeon would later say, the greatest preacher of the 19th century, he would say if he had any success in ministry, it was attributed to the prayers of those great saints prayer is ministry. That's why it had a primary place in Jesus' life. It was the fuel, the source, the fountain of all he would say and do. I long for that to categorize and describe our ministry as well. It was Corey Tin Boom who wrote, what wings are to a bird and sails to a ship, so prayer to the church. Jim Simbala, pastor of the famed Brooklyn Tabernacle, he writes, You can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor or evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer. Jesus' ministry was buttressed and built on prayer. Second, Jesus put a priority on preaching. See this in verse 38 and 39. Verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. I hope you highlighted that verse. Because because people will tell you Jesus came for all sorts of reasons, to be a good example, to show us what true humanity is like, to alleviate suffering. But this verse tells us he came to preach. What you need to think about in connection to this is that in his ministry, Jesus didn't choose to heal everyone. Think about that. When Peter found him, he could have gone back to Capernaum for day two and healed a bunch more people. But he chose not to heal those people. Why? I mean, he knew people were suffering. He knew many more were sick and tormented. If if he could heal them and did not, you know, doesn't this make him lack compassion? I mean, he had the power. He could have done it. Why didn't he do it? he didn't do it because that's not what he came to do. He came to preach. Did the miracles validate his preaching? Yes, of course, but they weren't the point of his ministry. A little bit later in Mark 2 verse 17, Jesus tells of this purpose with even more detail. He says, I've come to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance. How does he call sinners to repentance? By preaching. Remember, he went to the synagogue at Nazareth, and he came into the synagogue, and he opened up the word to Isaiah 61, and he read, referring to himself, The Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. That's what Jesus was given to do. Listen to Romans 10 13. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Jesus was a preacher. And preachers are necessary for ministry because the point of ministry is for people to put their faith in God, and faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so verse 39, he didn't go back to Capernaum. He went into the synagogues throughout all of Galilee. And in that verse, Mark sums up weeks if not months of Jesus doing exactly what he had done in Capernaum, preaching and casting out demons. And if you sit down and you read through the book of Mark, which I, I've done a couple of times in the last month or so, you come to realize that <clears throat> amidst all the activity, amidst the very fast pace of this book, the primary work of Jesus is preaching and teaching. Now, Mark doesn't give us all the content of Jesus' teaching. In fact, Mark gives us a whole lot less teaching than all the other gospel writers that's why it's the shortest gospel but jesus in the book of mark is is always leaving to teach somewhere else he's sitting down so he can teach he's he's getting the disciples away so he can teach them he's calling people to himself so he could teach by the fourth chapter of mark the disciples begin to call jesus teacher that's his title and, and given his great power, given all the miraculous things that they have witnessed, you'd think they'd call him healer or, or sovereign ruler. No, they, they call him teacher. And that's because teaching and preaching was his primary activity. The old bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, said this, Preaching is an office which the eternal Son of God himself undertook. He might have spent his earthly ministry in instituting and keeping up ceremonies like Aaron. He might have ruled and reigned as king like David, but he chose a different calling. Until the time when he died as a sacrifice for our sins, his daily and almost hourly work was to preach. He says it himself, that is why I have come. So you need to know that hopefully along with prayer, we will aim to be a preaching church that's the ministry jesus modeled for us that's why we're here yes he performed acts of great mercy and service but all those acts were a platform for preaching we simply don't have much if we don't have preaching you know i suppose there there are churches that still meet without teaching from god's word but but let's face it that those churches are mere social clubs civic New Testament ministry is founded upon, it's rooted in preaching. African pastor Conrad Mbewe said, no church can rise higher than its pulpit. He's not talking about the preacher in the pulpit, he's talking about the word expressed from the pulpit. The great reformer John Calvin said, every time the gospel is preached, it is as if God himself came in person solemnly summon us. Like Jesus, preaching will be a huge part of our ministry here. It simply has to be. It's what Christ came to do. It's what we've been given to do if we have any desire at all to bear fruit. Finally, that third point, we see Jesus round out his work. And he does it by ministering also in deed. the way Jesus did ministry was through prayer through the word, through preaching, and then through deeds of mercy, and we see this as he miraculously heals this leper this is verse 40 through 44 we only know of two lepers healed by Jesus, there's the healing of this leper, it's also recorded for us in Matthew and in Luke then there's another one in John, there's also two lepers healed in the Old Testament Miriam and Naaman and just in this time I have remaining, I want to elaborate on about six details from the account of this miracle. I'm going to go quickly, so I'm not giving you another six-point sermon here. Six details from these four or five verses. First, we see that this leper came to him. It says that in verse 40. And this is remarkable, because leprosy was a disease that made you an outcast. You would be set outside the city, perhaps in a colony or a group of lepers. You had to dress a certain way. You had to wear ragged clothing. You had to keep your hair undone. And if, <clears throat> and if anyone was to approach you, you had to shout, unclean, unclean. Because to come in contact with a leper, even if you didn't contract the disease, it made you unclean, which forced you to see a priest, which made you have to go through this big ceremonial process to then be made clean. But this leper in Mark 1, he's done something very bold. He comes to Jesus. Lepers didn't approach people. The Talmud, this Jewish rabbinical commentary, it instructed Jews not to come within 10 feet of a leper. But here, this leper is approaching the Son of God. He's not shouting unclean. He's bowing at his feet. Look at this, second thing, his request. With great earnestness, he says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't impose his will on Jesus. He seeks the will of Jesus. He knows Jesus can make him clean. Just great faith being exhibited here. And the question from the leper is, will you, Jesus? I'm not going to tell you what I need, Jesus. I'll let you determine what I need. That's beautiful submission. And we see what's really on the leper's mind. He doesn't want to just be well. He wants to be clean. He wants to be restored to fellowship. He wants to be restored to the community, to the synagogue, his true humanity back. That's what this man desired. It wasn't just wellness. It was cleanliness third thing verse 41 says Jesus is moved with pity or some of your versions might say compassion there are actually a good number of manuscripts that say Jesus is angered here however you say it Jesus is simply grieving at the fallen state of mankind grieved at the way in which this world has fallen into such decay into sin into disease and pain and heartache this man this leper is a full embodiment of how broken mankind really is. And it is emotionally stirring Jesus. Stirring him with pity and compassion and anger, probably all three. Fourth, we see that Jesus chose to heal him by reaching out and touching him. Again, Jesus could have decided to heal him with a thought, but instead he touches him. This is a man who likely hadn't been physically touched by another human being So can you imagine the warmth, the compassion he felt just in the physical contact? Not to mention the surge of divine power. Jesus was meeting this man at his point of deepest need. Not just healing him, but ministering to him through a touch. Fifth thing, verse 42. Immediately, there's our word again, 40 plus times in the book. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Just as Peter's mother-in-law was healed, there is no recovery period here. There is instantaneous healing. And notice, not just healing, but Mark says he was made clean. His very desire Jesus met. And then look at verse 43. Jesus sternly charged him, charged him to not say anything to anyway, that fra- to anyone. That phrase sternly charged, it's not used often but we see it used to describe the snorting of a horse. It's sort of this primal emotion being expressed. And I think it means that Jesus, with great passion, warned the leper to keep silent. Yet, because he wants this man restored to community, he tells him to go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest as a man healed of leprosy. Leviticus 13 and 14 lays out how the priests are to deal with leprosy. So going to the priest would restore him to the community. But it was also its own announcement, its own kind of announcement, and Jesus knew that. Look at the end of verse 44. For a proof to them. Go to them for a proof to them, for a proof to the priests. If this man were to go to the priests, the priests would know that there was one in Israel healing people from leprosy that something absolutely cosmic was taking place. The rabbis would say it would be easier to raise someone from the dead than to heal them from leprosy. Here's a man that's going to do both. Leprosy was this deplorable disease. It would affect your skin, your appearance. A lot of you know this. Its real danger was that it was a nerve disease. It would affect your extremities. It would numb your fingers and your feet first over time you would injure those parts of your body without feeling it. You would puncture your foot or you would burn your hand and you wouldn't even know it. So long term it was the infections and the sores from, from, from your often unknown injuries that would, that would just slowly kind of eat you alive. When we think about leprosy what we, what we come to and what we realize is leprosy is actually a picture of sin. The Bible lays this out for us. In a lot of ways, we can see that. It's a picture of sin in that it might start small, but eventually it spreads through the whole body. It desensitizes you. You don't even feel it over time. It numbs your heart. It's humanly incurable. Even today, even today, with Paul Brand and and many famous medical professionals trying to address the issue of leprosy and doing amazing things, pioneering great, great discoveries, there's still no known cure for leprosy. So as we connect that to sin, as we connect it to this man coming to Jesus, consider the way this leper was healed. What I'm saying is, consider the way he was forgiven, cleansed from his figurative sin, We see that he knew he was sick and he wanted to be made clean. Step one in having your sins forgiven. He knew Jesus was the only one who could make him well, so he humbly came to Jesus, risked public scorn and disgrace. He humbly came, throwing his life at Jesus' feet, confessing his unclean condition. He submitted himself to the will of Christ. Step two. Third thing, he waited for the touch of the Savior. He waited for and in his touch, Jesus was saying, I am not repulsed by you. I'm not scared of you. Your uncleanliness is not great for me. I can make you clean. And what Jesus doesn't do in this story is amazing to me. Notice, he doesn't go to the priest himself. He's just touched a leper. According to the law, he is unclean. We have no record of him visiting the priests. Why? Why? comes back to that authority again he had authority over the law he's holy he can't be made unclean folks i don't care what you've done i don't care what you've come out of i don't care where you what it is you sit in your shame today feeling jesus can make you clean there's nothing too heinous there's nothing too gross nothing too awful, nothing too perverse. You may feel like an outcast and an outsider and someone that's always been on the outside looking in when it comes to church, when it comes to God, when it comes to faith. And that's because you've never seen that Jesus takes those who are the most unclean and makes them clean. And he has no problem doing it. It affects him no matter. With the touch of his hand you can be made clean. And that that comes with coming to him in repentance and faith and throwing yourself down and saying, Lord, I I know I need to be made clean. If it be your will, I want to be clean. And if you come to Jesus, he will in no wise ever cast you out. He will make you clean. He will embrace you. Joseph Damien, a Roman Catholic priest, this story is shared by John Stott, This Catholic priest, born in 1840, sailed to Hawaii as a missionary in 1863. And when he arrived, he was horrified to discover the plight of the lepers there who were banished to a colony on the island of Molokai. Here they eked out a miserable existence in disease and filth and want, with neither family nor church to help them. Father Damien volunteered to go and live among them. He buried their dead. He taught them hygiene, cleaned their water supply. He built a church for them, improved their homes, built a hospital, constructed an orphanage, and trained a choir. He was for them a teacher, a carpenter, a stonemason, a sanitation engineer, a friend, and a priest. This selfless ministry continued for 16 years until one Sunday morning in 1885, he stunned his congregation by beginning his sermon with the words, we lepers. He had contracted the disease himself and he died on Malachi in 1889. He became a leper because he gave himself and his life for lepers. Notice how our text ends. This man does exactly the opposite of what Jesus tells him to do. He's unable to contain this great secret. And because of that, Now Jesus has to stay outside in the desolate places. That's where the leper had lived, in the desolate places. That's now where Jesus has to live. In love and by his saving power, Jesus changes places with that leper. The leper came home, was restored to his family, to his happy life. Jesus took his place away from the people. Does that sound familiar? That's what happened at the cross. Jesus traded places with sinners. He took the punishment. He took the scorn. He took the shame. He was set outside by himself. And in doing so, he he provided the cleanliness. He provided the cleansing, the forgiveness, the atonement, the sacrifice. We are all lepers, all just as needy, just as desperate, just as helpless— We are unclean before God, unable to make ourselves clean. But what the leper found in Jesus was the purest sympathy and the purest compassion matched with limitless power. Jesus can and certainly does still deliver people from disease. But his far greater work is to cleanse our lives for time and for eternity. He makes us clean calls us to himself no matter what our situation is no matter what our sin struggle might be no matter how dirty we really think we are he calls us to himself and with a touch he makes us clean his ministry was so incredibly balanced he was a man of prayer he was a man of prayer he came to preach repentance the word of god the authority like it's never been heard, and then he backed that up with these awesome deeds of mercy to validate everything he said that he was and that he could do in being a king that would bring the kingdom. If you don't know Christ, we, we don't do we will not have an altar call or anything like that. But if, if if you don't know Christ, there where you sit today, you can call out to him. You can ask for forgiveness. You can ask for cleansing you want to visit with me afterward if you want to visit with me this week or call a trusted friend someone you know who's walked with god a long long time do that do that find the grace and the forgiveness and the cleansing that christ supplies let's pray father we love you we thank you for your word it's rich and full and we confess as people who wouldn't necessarily or often classify ourselves as lepers we we confess before you that we are as needy as that group spiritually. And we all need cleansing. We all need healing. And Lord, you're the only place that can be found. So I pray that if there's anybody that needs that today, that they would come to you throwing themselves down as this leper did. Lord, and as a church, I pray that we would have a ministry that's focused on prayer and focused on preaching and focused on deeds of mercy. God, that our word, uh, that the, the word would go out from this place in great power, and that it would not return board, void, and that a harvest would, of souls would come uh, to know you. Help us to be faithful in that. We need your grace in all these things. In Christ's name, amen. Jared? It's a good morning, good time of worship. Uh, I love it how the, the leper was coming back to community. That's what this is, a gospel community where we can uh, be with one another, um, all of us lepers, and um, needing of cleansing. I want to point your attention to your bulletin this week as you go. There's prayer items you can be in prayer for, different ministry items. Um, And so as we conclude our time, I want to send you out with this blessing. Uh, Go in the name, um, or may the Lord be gracious to you and uh, make his face shine on you and uh, cause you to walk in his ways this week. Go in his face.